I often say something like this uh, when we get together here, but I, I want to say it again because I, I mean it, and uh, I, I really want you to know that I, I am glad that you made the choice, you made the decision to be here in worship. Um, celebrating God together is of vital importance for our spiritual lives. It's extremely important for us to continue to be built up into the person God calls us to be. So, so thank you for being here. Uh, your participation in worship today is a part of your spiritual growth. And it's, it's, a, it's a pattern that goes back to the creation of the world. The foundations of our earth establish what we are doing here today in worship as part of the rest that we're going to talk about a little bit today. So uh, thanks for being here. This is important stuff that we do here. We're going to jump into Genesis 2 in just a minute here. Um, but before we jump in, I want to sort of ask you a simple question before we jump into our text uh, of Genesis today. And it's something that has continued to be a burden on my heart as, as your minister. It's something that's continued to sort of stick in my craw and be something that, that, that the Lord continues to lay on my heart as something that I think is, is really crucially important for us as believers. It's a crucial part of our development and our growth. And here's the question. It's a simple question. If you're jotting down notes, write down this question for yourself. Do I love the Word of God? Do I love the Word of God? Do you love this book and the truth contained in it? See, part of why we're doing Genesis is so that we can not just think about who we are and what we mean in, in, in the whole scheme of creation, but it's also so that we can reestablish in our hearts and in our lives as, as, a, as a congregation together, as the family of God, called to be people made after God's image so that we would continue to love the truths of the Word of God. And, and so I want you to ask that question for yourself. Do I love the Word of God? And by that I don't mean, I don't mean do you respect it? I don't mean do you care about it? I don't mean does it sit on a nice secure shelf? I don't mean, do you understand its importance enough that 30 minutes of listening to somebody else talk about it every couple weeks or so is enough for you? What I mean is this, does the Word of God feed your soul? Does the Word of God feed your soul? I love Psalm 119. It's one of my favorites. It's a long one. But part of why I like it is because it speaks about this truth of the Word of God as something that feeds us, that feeds our souls. It says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. If you need to fall in love with the Word of God again, read Psalm 119 this week and just, and just let the truths wash over you because this book is 
whether or not you're going to grow to become who God made you to be. That's part of what we're talking about in Genesis. Your involvement in this book as something that feeds your soul is, is the crux of whether or not you are going to become who God created you to be. I have, as your preacher, I have the best job in the world. I really do. I really feel that way about it because each week I have the awesome responsibility of studying God's Word and and praying to hear His Spirit tell us what He wants to tell us and what He wants to teach us. And and for me, each week that is a sort of grueling exercise. Frankly, it's a grueling exercise for me that requires lots of time and sustained thought and, and research. I count this as the most important thing I do as your minister. I have a little saying, in fact, that I adapted from another preacher that I heard. It's this. The time when I am best and most effectively serving the entire congregation is when I am alone with God's Word, being directed by the Holy Spirit. It is exactly that kind of process of struggle with the Word each week that fills me up and fires me up so that when I come to worship, I am ready to worship Creator God. And here's why I say all that. Here's why I say all that. Because it occurs to me that many in our churches in America don't come to worship filled up or fed by the Word of God. We'll get to Genesis, but I've got a little Bible rant for a minute. (laughs) Your souls haven't been fed by the Word. Not all of you. But our churches, our pews are filled with people who think that it is okay for them to come and spend 30 minutes in the Word every few weeks or so. And that's going to feed their souls. You see, it's too easy to become satisfied with someone else struggling through the important questions so that you don't have to. It's too easy. It's too easy to become satisfied to that kind of place. It's too easy for our participation in the body of Christ to become a just-add-water kind of transaction where we are not required to struggle with the hard thing of learning and developing our hearts and our minds and our souls after the Word of God. It's too easy for somebody else to do it. If you can't tell, I'm of the feeling, and I think God is too, that that kind of pretend participation in the Word will starve your soul. And it bothers me. It keeps me up at night. I get restless about this. Because we allow our pews to be filled with people who think that that's okay. Do you love the truth of God's Word? Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with a little diet here and there, with just a snack? Just a snack every couple weeks. That's all I need. I'm good. So I'm very serious about this question. Do you love the Word of God? And I'm asking this question today in part because in this Genesis series, 
If you haven't noticed, over the last few weeks, we're going a little deeper. We're going a little deeper than we normally have been in the Word. So take advantage of what's being offered to you in what we do here in worship, in this time of study of Scripture, in the bulletin with the study guide, in life groups that meet to discuss this so that throughout the week we can live out in practical terms what this looks like. We've got too much to accomplish as a church and as people created in God's image for us to sit around and act like what we do here is not life and death in its importance. There's too much work for us to do. There are too many lost souls counting on whether or not we are going to grow and be fed by this. For us to be okay and satisfied with a snack every couple of weeks. It just bothers me. Sorry. Bible rant over. <laughs> But that's part of something I want to say as we, as, we, as we dive into this. Because cause we're going to go deeper and deeper as we continue to study what God's Word has to say to us. So, so in defiance, in defiance of lazy Christian living and church participation, I want you to, to commit anew with me and raise up your Bibles as we say this together as a way of saying uh, that the Bible is the authority for our lives. Let's say this together. This is the written Word of God. It is the story of a gracious God who reveals Himself to a sinful world. It is the story of His creation and its purpose. It is my story. So this morning, I give myself wholeheartedly to hear from God and His Word that I might be in tune with His purposes. Let's pray. Father, indeed, you have given us the privilege of an intellect that can read your truth. We're grateful to you for that. You've given us a heart that wants to be in tune with the ways that you've created us. So, Father, use our time this morning. Use our study. Use our worship that all of these things would sort of coalesce in a way that is superintended by your Spirit so that we would continue as the people of God to become who you've called and created us to be. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. If you haven't uh, already, go ahead and turn to Genesis 1. We'll start there in the first verse uh, yet again, uh, but we'll jump to Genesis 2 here quickly uh, in just a moment. If you've been following in the previous few weeks, uh, through those study guides, uh, and especially if you've been a life group, uh, if you've been in a life group that's studying this with others, you'll remember that, that, that kind of what the big picture of what we're saying in Genesis so far is that God's creative work, and if you're taking notes, this is a good sort of summary of, of one of the principles for us. God's creative work is about putting together a context for making Himself known. Genesis 1 is about God putting together a context within which he can reveal himself, make himself known. Now think about that for a second. We've talked about this before. Uh, God is ordering all of the matter, all of the material of the universe so that he can dwell inside that material. He He is essentially putting himself 
through his spirit into material. Somehow squeezing infinite and holiness and and perfection into limited material stuff. Now that truth alone is crazy, um, that that's what he's making happen here. Uh, The specific context within which he's doing that, of course, is the earth. And as you'll see, the scope in Genesis 1 to where we are today goes with the heavens and the earth, the entire cosmos. At the first, in verse 1, in chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means everything, the cosmos. And then it talks about the specific places and ways he does that. And then on day 6, he gets to us, and he, he comes down into focus and how he's ordering us around those purposes. And we'll talk about that a little more in the coming weeks. So what God's doing here is he's creating a context within which he can be known. He can reveal himself to us. That's the truth of the first chapter especially and a little bit for what we're talking about today. Now I want to admit to you that I really struggled with this text today and there are too many good things to tell you. There really are. There are too many good things to tell you. So I'm sort of breaking it up into Sermon 1 today, which you will get here momentarily. And then Sermon 2 is sort of the study guide version of that that's on the inside of your bulletin. Uh, I didn't want to confuse those two things uh, into one mega 45-minute-long message. Um, So I'll give you a part one today. Because, you see, preaching through Genesis uh, is sort of like uh, taking the ocean, putting the ocean in a cup. I mean, there's so much good stuff for us to talk about and to look at. So I've sort of got two things for you. Uh, the first is this. Part one, unpacking Genesis 2, 1 to 3, as sort of a background for your own discovery in part two. I want to say that again just to be clear. What we're going to do is unpack those few verses in Genesis 2 as a background for you to go discover some truths from Genesis 2, 1 to 3 and in Scripture on your own. So, verse 1, Genesis 1. Let's dive in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you'll remember, we said that this phrase was the first of two bookends that mark off this section of God's work of creation. The other bookend comes today in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. So for those taking notes, this is called an inclusio. That's the technical nerdy term. I-N-C-L-U-S-I-O, an inclusio. Uh, It's sort of literary brackets that mark off a particular theme or section. So we're talking about a section that goes from Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-1. And uh, the poor guy who made our verse and chapter divisions uh, probably should have waited till after verse 1 of chapter 2. He was uh, apparently riding horseback when he did that, so we can, ex- we can excuse that. His name was Stephanus. Yeah, he was riding horseback. So Genesis 1-1 to 2-1 is the section. And that word thus there in uh, chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, just means in this way or in this, this manner So in this manner, in this way that he described in chapter 1, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. That phrase there, the heavens and the earth, 
is, like we said before, it's a way of just saying everything, the entire cosmos. Uh, that next phrase, and all the host of them, at the end of verse 1 there, and all the host of them, uh, that's just a way of saying, of repeating that we're talking about everything, not just here, but everything over the entire cosmos, all the stars. Uh, God didn't miss something. Uh, there's a version called The Message that says, Heaven and earth were finished down to the last detail. So, verses 2 and 3. There's some cool stuff going on here in these verses that I want to show you. It says this in verses 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. Verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. There's an interesting emphasis in these verses here, in these two verses, on this seventh day. It's repeated three different times within two verses. There's also a pronoun, it, that uh, does it twice. So it's, so it's talked about five times in these verses. In fact, here's what these lines look like in the Hebrew. There are four lines, and line one says, so God finished by the seventh day his work which he did. Line two sort of repeats that and says, he rested, finished and rested, our parallels, on the seventh day from all the work which he did. You'll notice that the seventh day is repeated exactly in the middle of those first three lines. Line three says, and God blessed the seventh day, and sanctified it. And then verse, uh, the, the last line, line four, says, uh, because on it he rested from all his work that God created to do. This is sort of what it looks like in the poetic Hebrew form. Now, guess how many letters, I'm sorry, guess how many words are in each one of those four lines? Seven. Even the literary structure of the text is trying to emphasize something about this seventh day. In fact, anybody reading it at the time would have easily been able to see, okay, verse, uh, I'm sorry, days one to six, cool stuff is happening, creation is going on, God is forming these things for his purposes, but they would have come across day seven and said, aha, this is the most important day. Because the structure of it, even in literary form, uh, tells us that the author here, Moses, is highlighting the importance of the final day. And if you'll notice, this final day has no end. Unlike every other of the days of creation, of days one to six, it does not follow the same kind of formula that those did. There's no mention here of evening and of morning. There's no end of day seven. In other words, you and I right now are living in day seven. So there must be some sort of significance for us in our lives about day seven. That's some of what I'm going to let you discover in the study guides by yourself. But there's, but there's an emphasis here because we are obviously being uh, encouraged, exhorted to participate in day seven. It's another hint for you there. Exodus 31, 17 says, it's a sign forever. In other words, this, this concept of the seventh day, it's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days, 
the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. There's some sort of significance. It's a sign to us that day seven is asking something of us in a way that the previous six did not. I'm just going to give you some hints along the way so that when you get to the study guides, you can discover the relevance of that text for yourself. You see, something that relates to what I ranted on earlier is this. You do not make the Bible relevant. You do not depend on someone else to make it relevant for you. You, as a growing believer in Christ, you discover its relevance. You discover its relevance. So that's part of why I want to leave that second part of this sermon for you. Look at the phrases in those verses there. It says, God finished, he rested, God blessed, he rested. There's this emphasis again on on God's rest, on on what it means for him to be rested. Now, whatever whatever happens to be your first thought about that word rest and and what it means, I want you to throw it out. I want you to forget what you think rest means. Now, that doesn't mean that that meaning can't be used adequately in our world today. Go right ahead. But I want you to throw it out as it relates to this passage. Because here's what we think rest means. And I came up with something that I'm hoping will happen soon, probably next week. Uh, For me, rest, in my inappropriate use of the word, in, in my wrong conception of what that means, is, is sitting for a few hours in a lazy boy in front of a huge HD TV with Oreos and milk while the phone is turned off and the NFL is turned on. That's rest for me. Sitting in front of a TV, watching a bunch of huge guys just crack on each other and eating Oreos and dipping them in milk. That's rest in my mind, in my, in my, in my thinking. And even though that sounds totally awesome to me, at least, uh, I don't think that's the kind of conception that's intended in this passage. You know, what we do is we read our own thoughts of what it means to rest into the passage. So we come along and we say, God rested? I mean, why would God need to sleep? Why Why would God need a breather if he's an infinite, perfect, and holy God? And that that, that points to some of the the struggle of the text here for us. God's rest doesn't mean that God closed his eyes and and went to sleep. God didn't take a nap. We too easily connect rest with sort of a leisure and allowing one's body to recuperate. Uh, And while that's part of the, the larger sense of the word as we use it, it's not what's meant here. It does not mean that God rested in the sense of he became sort of indifferent or apathetic. It's not like he became indifferent to what man and woman were doing. We know that God was not indifferent because when Adam and Eve sinned, he was immediately there in the garden calling them to an account. He pronounced judgment and held out hope of a Redeemer to come. So, so rest is not to be understood in those kinds of ways. What, what rest means here is simply this. It means simply to cease to stop, to bring to an end. It just means to stop. God stopped the work he was doing. It's not that he needed needed some sort of break. 
there was some significance to why he did that. It's unpacked a lot in Scripture, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little more in Genesis, but it simply means to stop and to bring to an end. In Genesis 8, where God promises Noah that summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease, it uses that same kind of word. It says it won't rest. It simply means to stop. I don't know what restlessness looks like for you. I know what it looks like for me, and I know what it feels like. It feels like last night as I'm, as I'm thinking about how to, how to finish my sermon this morning, I, 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 could not, I could not go to bed. I mean, I was, I was restless. I was physically feeling it. And what that was for me wasn't just a physical ill at ease. It was, I, I don't yet feel good about where I'm headed enough. I don't yet feel that sweet spot of, oh, this is what God wants me to say. You know what, friends? We experience lack of rest in our lives all over the place. Ill at ease lack of rest, not being in that sweet spot of where God and we are in relationship with one another in a way that fills us and sustains us. You see, sin is the basic cause of restlessness. Rebellion against God in our lives is why we are restless. It's rebellion against the things that God wants to do with creation. And us saying, I don't want to participate in that. I want my own kingdom. That produces restlessness. When we become the people who are enthroned on the seat, making kingdoms of our own lives, that produces restlessness. It's not about fatigue. It's about not being right with God. What is involved here is what Augustine had in mind when he said, Thou has made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Augustine was talking about the turmoil of the human heart. He was saying that our true destiny is to find the rest that is found in God alone. Because what we're learning here in Genesis is that creation was intended to enjoy a forever rest that is provided by God. And we're in that day seven. With those kinds of thoughts as background, I want you to, I want you to discover some of these things yourself. The study guide is directed in a way this week so that you can look through some scriptures and use some of those insights so that we can answer the question, what is God building? What is God building in, in his creation? Can you answer that question for yourself, for your life? What's he building? What's he doing with your stuff? 
with your material, with your body, with your resources? Are you part of that project of what he's doing? And that he shows us as a model in his word. I'm going to just close with a little illustration. It kind of points to the way that we, we interact with God and with the world. It kind of demonstrates our, our, our being ill at ease and, and restless because our relationships are not right. In the, in the Philippines, there's a, an animal called a carabao. It's sort of like a water buffalo. And these, uh, this carabao is used to pull wagons uh, in the Philippines. Well, there was a driver of one of these, these carabao wagons that was on his way to the market when he overtook an old man who was carrying a heavy load. Well, the driver of this wagon took compassion on this, this old man and invited the old man to ride on the wagon and so gratefully, the old man accepted the ride on the wagon, of course. And after a few minutes, the, the driver was going down the road, and he turned around after a bit to, to kind of see how the man was doing. <laughs> and to his surprise, he found him still straining under the weight of that heavy load that he had been carrying. He had not taken the burden off his shoulders. Friends, isn't, isn't that exactly like us? Carrying burdens in our life, we are totally unable to carry. Jesus tells us, tells us in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, even in Genesis, it's not about physical rest. It's about being right with God. God's plan of redemption and creating us is so that we could have that right relationship with God. So don't miss that kind of offer today. It's a rest, it's a rest that is found when we discover that our true destiny is meaningful participation in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, there is so much for us to learn. We have upended a creator-creation relationship and built for ourselves little kingdoms. We have failed to filter all that we are through the truth of your word so that we would discover who we are because of who you tell us we are. Father, we ask that your spirit would take us deeper. We ask that we would continue to grow. We ask that you would continue to make of us people who are a part of your reclamation project, your redemption plan. Father, speak to us this week as we dive into your scriptures, seeking to learn more about who we are as it relates to who you are and what you're doing in the world. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.